0: Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott.
1: Joe Mott here. Welcome to the program. We've been discussing the question, is belief in God reasonable? I have said that if God does not exist, then without question, belief in God is unreasonable. Consequently, I have reviewed several arguments for the existence of God given in this program. That includes the Kalam argument, that is, the argument that depends on the beginning of the universe and the evidence from the Big Bang. Also, I have given the moral argument Two design arguments, one supported by the fine-tuning of the physical constants, and other arguments. Each of these arguments are the subject of many books. If you don't believe in God, you are going to be hard-pressed to refute these arguments. Yet the existence of God is demonstrated most profoundly for most people in personal experience. It may not be possible to demonstrate these arguments in such a way that you will commit your life to God. Besides that, it may be impossible to prove that you are happy, for instance, but that doesn't change the fact that you are happy. It may not be possible to demonstrate in the existence of another being, but every experience confirms that fact. By my last comments, I do not wish to imply that the internal subjective perspective outweighs objective truth, but complex truths are often powerfully supported by individual experiences. Changed lives, reformed attitudes, and answers to prayer all contribute to our personal perception that God exists. Even the most militant atheists will sometimes confess to nagging doubts about their atheism and express openly that they need God. I have quoted what Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus said in in earlier episodes, but it bears repeating. Sartre vowed, I needed God, I reached out for religion. I longed for it. It was the remedy I needed. Had it been denied me, I would have invented it myself. Camus made a similar admission. He said, Nothing can discourage the appetite for divinity in the heart of man. Sigmund Freud admitted, It would be nice if there were a God. He added, a sense of man's insignificance or impotence in the face of the universe. Bertrand Russell said, even when one feels nearer to other people, something in one seems obstinately to belong to God. At least that is how I should express it if I thought there was a God. On the other hand, Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician, scientist, one of the first two inventors of the mechanical calculator, philosopher, writer, and Catholic theologian, observed there is a God-shaped vacuum in every heart that can only be filled by the Creator God who made it. In Ponce's number 148, Pascal said, What else does this craving proclaim? but that there was once in man a true state of happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. The atheist evaluation of atheism says, It is cruel, that is from Sartre. It is not bearable, Nietzsche. It leads to delirium, Hume. It is dreadful, Camus. In opposition to atheism, the religious need argument goes like this. Premise one. All persons need God. Premise two, what we really need exists. Conclusion, therefore God exists. Atheists profess with their mouth that there is no God, but they show with their lives that there is a God. What one needs is not the same as what one wants. But every need points to the existence of something that can fulfill it. How odd it would be if there is hunger, but there is no food that exists to fill that hunger. If there is thirst, how odd it would be if there were no water to quench that thirst. It is reasonable to conclude that if something is unfulfilled, something exists to fill it, or it is fulfillable. Let's apply that rule to God. If there is a need for God, we can expect that God exists to fulfill that need. It makes sense that the creator of the progenitors of human life would consequently provide what humans need for survival. A sense of truth is another compelling way We know God exists. And it is God's intent for all people to experience that sense of truth because that is what makes us free. God came to earth as a human being in the person of Jesus so that we could have a personal relationship with God. Those who sincerely seek him, Scripture tells us we will find him. And it will result in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. However, nowhere do we find biblical writers appealing to experience alone as a test of truth. In fact, the Bible encourages honest investigation of the message of Christ. That's found in Isaiah 1 verse 18. When people have legitimate questions concerning the Christian faith, they deserve to be given honest answers that can be validated by First Peter chapter three verses 13 through 17. The question, "Does God exist?" may not be answered with what you consider an absolutely convincing proof. But I can point you to the weight of evidence that consistently suggests he does exist. Also, I can point to my proof that the first cause of the universe is identical to the God of the Bible. Accepting that God exists is not a blind leap into the dark. It is a trusting step out of the dark into the light of a nurturing, loving relationship with him. I need to answer some objections people may have. Objection 1. Things could have happened by chance, not by design or need. My response. First, I have answered this objection in one of my design arguments. Second, the chances are virtually zero. Third, science is not based on chance, but on regularity, which demands an intelligent cause of life. Fourth, chance is not a cause because it has no power to initiate, no voice to call for help, and no foresight to analyze the situation. The only causes are natural forces or intelligent ones, and life needs an intelligent cause. Objection two natural selection could have caused the first life to emerge response. First, again, I have answered this in one of my design arguments. Second, natural selection requires reproduction to be in operation. So life already exists for natural selection to be available for use. In other words, there is no real natural selection on the prebiotic level. Third, natural selection only explains the survival of the old, not the arrival of the new. Fourth, natural selection has never been observed to produce life from the mixture of chemicals. In the last episode, I recall the story of the philosopher Anthony Flew, who had been the most famous atheist in the world for over 50 years but in 2004, converted to belief in God. He announced that he now accepted the existence of God, the intelligent creator of the universe, citing, among other factors, evidence of intelligent design in the DNA molecule. The origin of life is right in the middle of a controversial can of worms concerning the cell, amino acids, the DNA molecule, information, and the role of God. Stephen Meyer describes the prevailing concept in pre-scientific cultures. He said, In the 1870s and 1880s, scientists assumed that devising an explanation for the origin of life would be fairly easy. They assumed that life was essentially a rather simple substance called protoplasm that could be easily constructed by combining and recombining simple chemicals such as carbon dioxide, oxygen, and nitrogen. Just as salt could be produced spontaneously by adding sodium to chloride, so could a living cell be produced by adding together several chemical constituents and then allowing spontaneous chemical reactions to produce the simple protoplasmic substance that they assumed to be the essence of life. So the cell then was considered immensely simple, But in the 20th century, powerful microscopes revealed to scientists that the cell, rather than being simple, was, in fact, very complex. The contest over origins of life features two opposing points of view. One, a creator and designer is responsible for the origin of life. Two, matter chance and long periods of time are sufficient to explain the origin of life. The discovery of the complexity of the cell has made it hard on the second point of view. Moreover, several people have made arguments that say that it is impossible for such complexity to have been created on earth by chance mutations In the last 30 years or so, science has proved the environment would not have allowed the emergence of the basic building blocks of life. I will return to this point in the next episode. Allow me to close this program with a remark about loving God by loving others. From Saul Bellow's collection of traditional Jewish tales comes this story. In a small Jewish town in Russia, there is a rabbi who disappears each Friday morning for several hours. His devoted disciples boast that during those hours, their rabbi goes up to heaven and talks to God. A stranger moves into the town, and he's skeptical about all this, so he decides to check things out. He hides and watches. The rabbi gets up in the morning, says his prayers, and then dresses in peasant clothes. He grabs an axe, goes off into the woods, and cuts some firewood, which he then hauls to a shack on the outskirts of the village. There an old woman and her sick son live. He leaves them wood enough for a week and then sneaks back home. Having observed the rabbi's actions, the newcomer stays on in the village and becomes his disciple. And whenever he hears one of the villagers say, on Friday morning our rabbi ascends all the way to heaven, the newcomer quietly adds, if not higher.
0: with Joe Mott.